Welcome to the I Want to Know podcast. I am your host, Josh Spector. If you're new here, don't know who I am. I'm the creator of the For the Interested newsletter, which you can check out at fortheinterested.com. This podcast exists to help creative entrepreneurs get their questions answered. It's really simple. Here's how it works. In each episode, a guest comes on and asks me three questions about audience and business growth. Then we have about a 10 minute conversation about each of them and that's it. Hopefully I give you some actionable tips that you and the guests can use. Not a lot of fluff and we get you as much value per minute as possible. Today's guest is Dylan Redekop. Dylan helps creators and solopreneurs grow, optimize and monetize their newsletters with his own growth currency newsletter. It's the meta newsletter about newsletters. I think I'm going for a record on how many times I can say newsletter. Check it out at growthcurrency.net. Dylan also works as a marketing professional by day on the West Coast of Canada, where he lives with his wife and kids. You can find him on Twitter and most social platforms with the handle at growthcurrency, where he talks all things newsletters, writing, and growth, while he grows his own newsletter public. Uh, not surprisingly, because as you can tell, he is as interested in newsletters as I am. Dylan and I have had a lot of conversations on Twitter and email and online and feel like we know each other, even though this is the first time we've actually talked face-to-face, -face, at least virtually. So with that in mind, hey, Dylan, welcome to the show, and it is great to actually meet you. Hey, Josh. Yeah, it's so awesome to be here and finally connect uh, as in real life as people do these days. <laughs> yeah. So I know you've got some good questions. Not surprisingly, we're going to talk about some newsletter stuff because that's what we love to do. So let's get into it. What is the first thing you want to know? Well, let's get this one right. Let's get it out of the way kind of right off the bat. I want to know why someone shouldn't start a newsletter. Cool. So it's interesting. This is a good question, but I'm curious, why is that something you want to know? Because I know you and I both are very pro newsletter, obviously. So I'm just curious sort of what the impetus for the question was. Yeah, I think a lot of people ask why they should. And I think you and I can come up with a hundred reasons why people should. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious to find kind of not a straw man case, but really the opposite for newsletters. Like what is kind of, what is the reason somebody shouldn't? And then there's probably not many, but I'd be curious to know your thoughts on why they shouldn't. And that kind of builds the case for why most people should, I think, like mm -hmm. almost in a, a reverse way. So I was just curious if there's any situations where you feel like there's no sense really in this person starting a newsletter. It's not definitely not the best choice of how to use their time. Sure. So it's funny. I'm going to give sort of two separate answers to this question. One is going to be my dodge the question answer and yeah. the other will be my actual answer the question answer. So, you know, my first thought about this is I'm really biased because the truth is I actually believe everyone should have a newsletter. And I don't even just mean like individual creator types. I mean, every business, I think they're incredibly powerful. And to me, a newsletter is essentially just a value delivery mechanism. And it's the best value delivery mechanism in terms of your ability to reach an audience and the intimacy in someone's inbox, and you're not beholden to social platforms and a million different reasons. So I personally feel like if you're trying to accomplish anything, it would be valuable for you to start and have a newsletter. But that said, I think it's important to also say here that a newsletter doesn't have to be what you think it is or what a lot of people think it is. And I think that's where... A lot of times when I say, oh, everyone should have a newsletter, they go, why do I need a newsletter? 
I just make videos or I just do mm -hmm. this or I sell widgets or, you know, whatever. And I think it's understanding my definition in some ways of what a newsletter is, is different than a lot of people's, especially people that are hesitant to start them, different than their assumptions. A newsletter does not have to be long. As you know, I have a daily newsletter that is literally, I think the one I sent a couple of days ago was two words. When you start thinking about what I really mean is you want a consistent email that you're able to deliver value to people. And when I say everyone should start a newsletter, it doesn't mean everyone should write this long form essay thing, right? What I mean right. is everyone should be thinking about how do I use email to deliver whatever value it is that I have to deliver to people, right? Mm -hmm. So in that context, I think it's very different. That's part of why I don't think there's really an excuse not to do it. <laughs> Because I don't think you don't have to be a good writer. You don't have to have a ton of time. You don't have to have design skills. It doesn't have to be anything sort of, sort of fancy. It doesn't have to be super time consuming. And to be honest, it doesn't even have to be text. Like if you're someone who prefers video or audio, your quote unquote newsletter could be an email you send each week with a link to the YouTube video you post right, or a yep. link to the podcast, right? So I think that's really important when we have this conversation about who should have a newsletter or not have a newsletter, because there are so many preconceived notions about what a newsletter is. So that's my sort of dodge the question answer. <laughs> now I'll give you the head on like, all right, yeah, but surely there's some people that should, should not actually have a newsletter. And I tried to think about it and sort of came up with like, Kind of, kind of what I see is the red flags of people who start newsletters. I'm like, that's not going to work. Or you're like, you're starting it for maybe the wrong reasons, or you have assumptions. And I think those people, that's when I go like, eh, you probably shouldn't be doing a newsletter because you have some misconceptions about what this is. So Perfect. the first one that I would say is don't start a newsletter if you're not interested in providing value to an audience, right? Mm -hmm. There is a big difference between, a, in my mind, and as I define it, I think, and I think a lot of people get confused here, there's a big difference between a newsletter and email marketing. I think a lot of people, I see email marketing as something you do to extract value from an audience, and a newsletter is something you do to provide value to an audience, mm -hmm. right? So if you're doing a newsletter solely because you want to sell more of your stuff, you should be doing email marketing, right? Yeah. Not a newsletter. Email marketing can be done sporadically. Maybe you don't email people every week or every two weeks or every day or whatever. You do it when you have something to promote or sell because, again, you're using email to extract value. A newsletter needs to be done consistently, at ideally at a set, set interval of time, right? So yeah. if you're not interested in doing that, you're not interested in sending emails that provide value, you just want to extract value, and you're not interested in emailing people consistently, then I would say, don't do a newsletter. Yeah. Just do email marketing. Still think you should sure. use email, but those things I think are very different. The other thing I would say is, and this one, some people are not going to love this one, but I'm going to say it anyway. Perfect. Don't start a newsletter if what you really want to do is write a diary, right? <laughs> I, I believe you can write about whatever you want. There is nothing wrong with doing that. And you can even publish it and you can even share it as a newsletter. All of that is fine. But if you are writing primarily for you, 
and not to provide value to others, you should not expect to attract and grow an audience for it. Right. That misalignment causes so much frustration and problems. And that's what I mean by a diary, right? You see a lot yeah. of people are like, I want to write about whatever I want to write about. And I don't want to focus on this niche. And I want to send it whenever I want to send it. And this is an exercise for me. Great. Don't ask how to get it, grow it. Like those, are, yeah. like those are two separate things. That is an artistic hobby for you or whatever it is. Awesome. But if you're talking about a newsletter that's designed to grow or provide, you know, create some sort of value, it has to be rooted in what you're providing to other people. So that would be another one where I would say, if you're just writing for yourself, you're welcome to publish it for anyone who wants to read it. But mm -hmm. You just can't then have the expectations that it's going to be this huge successful thing because you're not designing it for anyone. Like there, if mm -hmm. there, if the audience's wants and desires are secondary to your own, you cannot have the expectation that it's going to work and be successful. It might, it might. Sometimes yeah. it catches on. People do stuff for themselves. Yeah. But so that to me would be another difference. And that's where I say it's like, you might as well do the same writing and not publish it yeah, or publish it on your blog or whatever. So that would be another scenario where if it's really about you, maybe don't start a newsletter. Uh, and then the last thing I would say is, again, another sort of misconception, especially now these past couple of years where there's been this whole newsletter boom. Don't start a newsletter because you think it's going to be easy. You think it's <laughs> going to be quick or because it's hot right now. I'm amazed people that contact me and go, you know, they see Morning Brew or The Hustle or all these people doing stuff and they go, oh, I want to start a newsletter. And they don't really know why. They don't really want to start a newsletter. They just think there's an opportunity there. Yeah. And they might be right. I mean, this is the other part of it too. I, you know, I say to people all the time and I've found this for myself over the years, you know, there are opportunities everywhere. And just because you see an opportunity and you can succeed with it, doesn't actually mean that you should pursue it, especially if it doesn't really align with what you want to do. Like starting a newsletter because it's the hot thing really rarely works well. So I think that would be another person where if you're not really excited to create the thing and you're just doing it because you sense there's an opportunity there, I would, I might not say don't start it, but I would at least say maybe you should think twice before you start that newsletter. Yeah, uh, true. So what do you think? What did I miss? You know that you know this space well. Anything up? Yeah. Who would you tell not to start one? Well, yeah, I think the one scenario or a couple scenarios where maybe a personal kind of diary or journal style newsletter could work is if you have a very interesting, let's say, life or job mm -hmm. that you can blog about or write about. I shouldn't say the, use the word blog necessarily, but that you could write about and that people would be interested in. And it would have to be pretty unique, right? And something that maybe not a lot of people are exposed to. So I feel like in that circumstance, you could, or if you were, you know, mildly famous and, and people were just interested in you as a social, you know, celebrity figure, whatever that might be, or influencer on some kind of platform, then I think you could maybe get away with something in that realm. Yeah. But for, you know, the 99.5% of us who are not those things, it would yeah. be definitely ill-advised. Yeah. And I agree with what you said. And actually, I should clarify that because I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with chronicling 
your life, your activities, your journey, your whatever, right? Mm -hmm. Right. That can be very effective. And even if you're, even if you're not famous, right, even if you're just starting out, the key is to understand I'm chronicling this and sharing this to help these other people, not just because I feel like writing about it. So that's the difference. And by the way, you know, the obvious version of that is the well, look, you and I have both written plenty about how we grow our newsletters like there's an, and how we do stuff. There's an element mm-hmm. of sort of personal journey there, but it's designed to help people that are interested in learning how to, do, how to do that same thing. But even if you go the other direction of something that's, that might seem completely frivolous, right? Like maybe it's just someone writing about, they just want to write stories about spending time with their kids each weekend. It doesn't seem as concrete or businessy as how to grow a newsletter. Sure. But if they're sharing those stories in the mind and with the approach that other parents are going to be able to read them and go, oh, you know what? I should do that with my kid. Yeah. Like that's a cool. So there, so even the, it doesn't have to be business-like. It can be very, it can be very personal. It can be very, I don't want to say fluffy, but it it can be very Mm -hmm. like diary type thing. But the key is to keep in mind, okay, I'm sharing these personal experiences to help someone else, not just because I want to write them down. And, you know, like, I think if you like that newsletter, for example, a newsletter where every week you talk about the things you did with your kids and what you learned from them and et cetera, I could see as being very valuable to people. Mm -hmm. If that same newsletter is one week, it's about, here's what I did with my kids. And the next week it's, here's what I had for lunch. And the next week it's, here's what I think about the election. Yeah. That very, that's what I mean, where you start to get into diary territory of like, well, who is this actually helping? Because Mm -hmm. it's sort of all over the place and free form and whatever. Yeah. Cool. I agree. All right. So let's get on to your second question. What is the next thing you want to know? So if you had to start from scratch, how would you get to get your newsletter to 10,000 subscribers in the shortest amount of time? And it could be like multiple strategies or one main one, whether you use paid or organic or both. Maybe if you like narrowed it down to maybe kind of three main to, mm-hmm. for the sake of not going too overboard. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Yeah. This is obviously a great question and one that a lot of people I think are curious about and trying to figure it out. And the truth is, as you know, there's a million different variables here. Mm -hmm. So again, I'm going to sort of uh, start with deconstructing the question a bit and then Mm -hmm. loop around. But so the first thing I would say is that in the vast majority of cases, I think people get hung up on subscriber number. And I actually don't think subscriber number is a great goal in general. So Mm -hmm. I hear from lots of people, how do I get to a thousand subscribers? How do I get to 10,000? How do I get to 50,000? And I think it's really important to think about why those numbers and how those numbers align with ultimately what you're trying to do. Because there is a world in which, okay, I need 10,000 subscribers because X, Y, and Z. I'm not saying that those are meaningless numbers, but Mm -hmm. I, so I think the first thing I would do is actually, you know, take a step back and go, well, why do I need 10,000, right? In terms of, am I, because what is my goal ultimately, right? Am I trying to get clients? Am I trying to sell a product? Am I trying to monetize the newsletter through ads? Like, what am I trying to do? And what I think most people will find in most cases 
is that they don't actually need as many subscribers as they think they need to accomplish what they want to accomplish. And the obvious version of that is certainly in a services business. And, you know, I don't need 10,000 subscribers if I'm only trying to get 20 clients. Yeah, sure. I need the right subscribers and that kind of thing. But I think also what gets overlooked is even if you're going down a sort of advertising monetization route or that kind of thing, the assumption that you need 10,000 subscribers, well, it depends what the niche is. It depends what the advertisers are. It depends how valuable the people you're trying to reach are. So even that, I think a lot of times people assume they need mass volume for a sort of advertising business. And I actually think people are, their analysis on both sides is wrong. So I think sometimes people, depending on their niche, they think they need a lot more subscribers than they do to monetize, even through ads. And right. then I think sometimes when they go broad, they actually don't think they, you know, they're like, oh, if I just get to 10,000, well, depending on what market you're in, you might need 100,000. Yeah, sure. Or you might need 500 or 1,000 or... So it's very dependent. And I think that's the first thing that I would sort of think through. That said, if I did need 10,000 subscribers, I would consider... And I'm sort of coming at this as if maybe I'm not quite sure what my niche is or I'm sort of thinking it through, but for whatever reason, I have this thing, right? So yeah. I would think through, you know, how I consider the target audience, how big is it really? How hard is it? You know, I have a client whose business and I help them with a business newsletter in their industry. Their industry is pretty small, right? So one of the first mm -hmm. conversations we had was it's very small, very specific. And I said, look, how many people are actually in this industry total? You know, and they were like maybe six, 7,000 people. So <laughs> if they get 2,500, that's massive. I mean, they have yeah. half their industry on their newsletter. So it's like, so that sort of perspective. So understanding what is the target audience? How big is it? How hard is that target audience to reach is really important. Like. Where are they? It's because it's one thing for them to be big, but it's like tough to find them or maybe it's small, but you know exactly where they are. So right. I would sort of think through that, identifying who they are, where they are, how hard is it going to be to reach them? Another one, are they the kind of people that subscribe to newsletters? Are there other newsletters in this space? How tech savvy are they or aren't they? Are they on social media? Let's say if you were going to run, and we'll talk about this in a second, but if you were going to run social media ads or Facebook ads or whatever, like, are they on there? Are they mm -hmm. not on there? Yeah. So all of the, you know, trying to get a sense of how hard this is going to be. And if I hadn't chosen my niche yet, but I had this for whatever reason, this important 10,000 goal, I would want to pick a niche that is not an uphill battle. Right. Yeah. So if I need 10,000, I don't want to pick the market that's only has 7,000 people in yeah. it, <laughs> obviously. So that would be sort of my first, my first bit of analysis. The second thing is if I had budget, right? So if I had budget to spend on some paid promotion, again, it would depend on the niche and market, but my first place would be buying ads and other newsletters. I think right now it's like the most cost-effective way. If you can find newsletters that fit your niche and your audience, yeah, that is where I would start. Years ago, when I was first launching my newsletter, I ran a bunch of Facebook ads. I think you can still use Facebook ads. That would be secondary for me right now if I could find the right newsletters. The other thing is I've started using the 
Sparkloop partner program, not their oh, nice. referral thing, but they have a new partner program. Shout out to Louie Nichols if you hear this. I am a huge, I'm a huge fan of their partner program. It allows you to essentially almost like an affiliate, it allows you to pay other newsletters who send you subscribers. So you yep. can set whatever payments you want. So you could say, I'll pay a dollar or three dollars or five dollars or whatever you want. And then different newsletters can promote you in their newsletter and get paid for it. So I think, and they only get paid if the people subscribe and stick around. And so to me, right. it's really new. It's only been out a few weeks. I've been using it on both ends. I've been using it uh, to get paid to drive people to other people's newsletters. And I've been using it to pay other people to drive people to mine. It has been very effective. So I think my, in order of focus, if I had a budget would be ads and other newsletters, Smart mm -hmm. Blue Partner Program, if you could find audiences that matched. Yeah. Uh, and then probably Facebook ads would be my third choice because I do okay. think they can still work. But again, it sort of depends on the audience. The next thing I would do is I would definitely create additional content in some form, right? Blog posts, social media. I would probably focus on one social platform. Mm -hmm. uh, I would not try to go everywhere. And most likely that social platform would be Twitter or LinkedIn, uh, because I think those are more idea-driven platforms. I also think they're more written text. It's not image, video, whatever. And yeah. I think if you're trying to get someone to read a newsletter, you want the kind of people that are reading and writing. So that would be my focus. And then also blog or content on my website. Another thing I would do is, again, so much of this depends on the niche, but I would look for ways to do what I call bulk outreach. So for example, can I, whatever, let's say I had a newsletter, let's say my niche was like accounting or whatever, right? Can I find some big accounting firm, go to their HR department, say, hey, I have a free newsletter with accounting tips and can you just email all your people because I think they're gonna find this valuable. Right. If I get one yes from that person, I might get their 200 employees. Yeah. So yeah. looking for, and that's an example in, in the accounting world, but like, let's say it was, you know, I don't know if I had a newsletter about dating in college, right? Going to fraternities, sororities. You know, it's interesting. There's a story about, I think it was, I want to say it was Bumble, one of, the, one of those dating apps. Mm -hmm. And that's how they started. They just went hmm. to the fraternity sorority system, got bulk because they could get bulk signups. Let's get all yeah. your sorority sisters, all your fraternity brothers on yeah. an individual campus. And that I think, and this can apply to anything, but that is a really smart way to grow where the time and effort you're putting on as opposed to like where one yes gets you a bunch of subscribers yeah. as opposed to one yes getting you one subscriber. Yeah. So that would be another thing I would do to try to focus and speed up growth. And then the last thing I think I would do is I would, I come up with one piece of content, specific tactic, a tool, a case study, something that was sort of so interesting, unique, useful, helpful, surprising, eye-catching, something that would not only hopefully get noticed within that niche, but that I could use to try to get, even if I didn't have a lot of credentials, 
that mm-hmm. I could use to try to get myself booked on podcasts, interviewed by press, depending what it was, some right. sort of thing that if I sent it to people that had podcasts in that niche, they go, oh, I want to talk to that guy yeah. about this system he has or this method or this experiment he did or something, something that has to be, it can't be the generic like blog post that a million other, you know, I wrote the ultimate guide to accounting or, you know what I mean? Like it has to be something that someone in your niche would be like, oh, that guy, that'd be an interesting story, right? Yeah. Something that has a story that I could use to sort of capture additional attention. So some version of that stuff, it wouldn't all work, but hopefully, and I'd also be patient because no matter what, it's going to take time. But I think that's how I'd approach it. That all makes sense. It does. So the last thing you're describing, uh, you didn't use the word the mm-hmm. words lead magnet, but I feel like yeah. you're talking about essentially a lead magnet, but something that's not, you know, a checklist or a cheat sheet or anything like that. It's just like, it's something high value that might be more unique to obviously your niche and out of the ordinary. Yeah. So I think the other differentiation is I'm not necessarily using it as a lead magnet where people have to give them either email address to get it. I'm using it as bait for me to get in front of other audiences. Right. Right. Okay. So my hope yeah. is, hey, I did I made this thing. I did this thing. I whatever. Book me on your podcast and we'll talk mm-hmm. about it. And then people will hear and I'll be able to introduce my newsletter. So it's that sort of thing as opposed to, you know, in general, I'm not a huge fan of lead magnets because I think you get people that want the lead magnet and don't really care about the newsletter. So, you know, and ideally, like look, in a perfect world, if you know, the more Again, depending on the niche, the stuntier you can get, the better. Yeah. Like if you could, you know, again, I don't know why I just mentioned accounting before, so I'll do this again. But like, you know, if I could come up with some sort of weird, crazy stunt, you know, maybe I invite 10 accountants to a park and, you know, they used to have, this is such a weird idea, but you know how they used to have those, <laughs> they'd have those like dance marathons, right? And like whoever like was dancing the longest, you yeah. know, would win. So maybe yeah. it's like tax season and you bring a bunch of accountants to some place and you do the like accounting marathon, you know, and, you know, because local news, right? When you do that and you call up the local news and say, Hey, three accountants have been doing taxes nonstop for 72 hours. And they're about to pass out in the park. You want to send a camera and cover this? And it's, yeah. you know, it's a contest brought to you by my accounting newsletter. Like that's very broad, but that kind of thing that can get attention. It's press ready. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Um, cool. All right. So let's get to your third question. What is the next thing you want to know? So you price your newsletter ads at, for the interested at a, you've admitted it's a quite a low rate and you've done that intentionally, but. What's your advice to newsletter publishers for setting their own ad rates? Should they do, you know, CPM or CPC or just like a flat rate? Um, totally curious to your guidance there. So a couple of things. So first I'm going to say there is an episode of this podcast out there where I talk about my whole ad system and all of that. The episode's called, I want to know how to sell newsletter ads. We'll put a link in the show notes. But so in general, if you're interested in ad stuff, people should go listen to that episode. But we don't actually touch on this question specifically. So I do want to sort of add some more color to that. So the first thing that I would say is you are right. I do say that 
I'm probably, and other people have said, I'm probably undercharging for my ads at this point. Right now there it's $350 for an ad. But what I will say is the idea of my ad prices are low. Low is a really relative term, right? Yeah. So there's some people that when they, you know, when they hear this and they hear me say, oh, I charge $350 for a newsletter ad. There's some people that go, wow, that's cheap. That's a steal. He has 20,000 subscribers and whatever. And there's other people that go $350 for a newsletter ad. Like that, mm -hmm. that seems like a lot, right? Mm -hmm. But I think it's important to understand when setting a price for ads or anything, right? No matter what price you have, there's going to be people on all ends of that spectrum, right? Yeah. So even if I charged $50, there's going to be some people that go $50 for a newsletter ad. That's blah, blah. And then there's going to be other people that's like, well, I'll buy two years worth of ads, right? Sure. Yeah, so, yeah. And I've seen as I've gradually increased the ads, that spectrum doesn't really change or go away, right? There's people, there's always going to be people that think it seems expensive. There's going to be people that think it seems cheap. So I think that's important to keep in mind because I do think a lot of times people worry when setting their prices. I'm worried that people are going to find it expensive or maybe mm -hmm. this makes it seem cheap. Like, yes, to both, right? Like <laughs> whatever your price is, it is both expensive and cheap. Yeah. Uh, the other thing to think about, and this is where, again, it really is so dependent on niche and specifics and audiences and whatever. But ultimately, if I charge $350, and the people that are buying my ads, let's say, and I have all sorts of different people that, well, I'll give you two examples, right? If I charge $350 and one person buys an ad and they run a free newsletter that they don't monetize at all in any way, and let's say they get, it depends on, I, you know, a lot of people get a lot of subscribers from mine, but let's just say hypothetically for $350, they get 50 subscribers. Yeah. So they, that's seven down if my math is right that's like seven dollars a subscriber or something like yeah yeah so right. if you're not monetizing at all depending how invested you are in your newsletter <laughs> you might go i'm not paying i don't want to pay seven dollars a subscriber like that's yeah. not worth it to me or you might go i'm happy to pay seven dollars a subscriber i want to grow this thing and ultimately whatever that same ad someone who let's say is a consultant and charges $3,000 for some, or a coach or something and charges mm -hmm. $3,000. They go, if I get one person out of Josh's 20,000 readers, I 10 x my investment. Yeah. Almost 10 x Yeah. So a big decision on the pricing is who are the people you're selling to? Who's buying? What is the about, what are they going to get from success, right? What their business is almost, if not more important than what my business and my prices, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if I have, and again, it has to do with niche and audience and how hard those people are to find, that's another, that's another component of this, right? So yeah. if I had, for example, if I had a newsletter that had 50 subscribers, but those 50 subscribers were all a hundred million dollars plus net worth. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of people are going to pay a lot of money to reach those 50 people. Totally. So I actually think the traditional mainstream media ad metrics of CPM, how many, you know, what am I paying per impression or even CPC? What am I paying per click? I don't really pay much attention to either of those and don't price that way because mm -hmm. I think ultimately it's about 
the audience I have, the people I'm selling to, and I'm trying to price based on value, not audience size. Because like I said in that example, a $350 ad selling to people that are getting a $3,000 client is way, un is way underpriced if that's yeah. consistent, consistently delivering, right? So I try to, and for the most part, do avoid, I don't ever quote CPM fees. I don't ever, you know, even when I write about my ads, I talk about how many people open my newsletter. I don't even really share the overall, I don't say, oh, you're paying to reach 20,000 people. Mm -hmm. I say, you're going to get, you know, about 10,000 people open each time and you're going to get X, you know, on average, 270 clicks on an ad or whatever, right. you know, whatever it is. And this leads right into the other thing that I was going to say. So, so in terms of pricing, I'm pricing based on value, not audience size. The other thing is I think about value and pricing like this. I think about it almost like a scale. So transactions are the most valuable purchase it, whatever the person's trying to sell to my audience through their ad, right? Whatever the yeah. action is they want them to take a purchase, a lead generation, a whatever. So transactions are more valuable than clicks. Mm -hmm. Clicks are more valuable than impressions. Yeah, Impressions don't matter if no one's going into that person's world. And to be honest, the people that are going to their world don't matter if they're not actually ultimately doing a transaction or taking the action. Yeah. So the number I'm most focused on, and I don't have 100% transparency into this, I just have it anecdotally from talking to people. And obviously if people rebuy ads, you know, well, they, mu they must've felt like that worked for them. Yeah. But I do have transparency on the clicks. You know, I'm able to get some sort of sense of what people are getting. I can see what people are selling through their ads. And a lot of that's out of your control as well, right? So mm -hmm. if a person has a bad sales pitch, or they get leads and get people on a, their consultant and they get our coach and they get someone on a call and they can't close them. Well, that doesn't mean Not I you. served it up. They just, you know, they dropped the ball. So yeah, uh, that's how I think about it. The other thing about pricing is I do always recommend limiting inventory. I think scarcity helps sell. I only sell five ads a week. I would not just have it open-ended and be like, oh, if 10 people want to buy this week, great, 10 people will buy. Like, so I do think that is helpful to do. Also important to think long-term. It's okay to start low with your pricing and increase as you go, harder to drop down. And I think a lot of times, like, you know, I, and arguably still to this point, you know, I've probably left a lot of money on the table. In the beginning, I charged very low prices, but I went into it knowing like, this is a long-term game for me. Like yeah. I'm gonna, this price is going to go up. By the way, the other thing I should mention is every, by doing that, every time I've raised the price, I send an email letting people know, Hey, ad prices are going <laughs> yeah. up yeah. and it drives tons of sales. Like it drives course, like yeah. you know, months worth of sales. So the other thing about going low and gradually going up is you create these inflection points where you can drive, you can create urgency and drive sales as opposed to being, this is what my ad costs. And just reminding people, Hey, my ad still costs that. Yeah. Like if you want, you know, if you want one. And then the last thing I would say here is, especially for sort of independent newsletter creators and when you're sort of starting out and early on, I think it can be helpful to think in terms of partnerships as mm -hmm. opposed to just ad buyers. You know, can you find one or two people and say, hey, let's 
do this. And then it relieves you having to sell. I mean, I haven't done this. My ads have worked well. I mean, I think with this podcast, I'm going to be heading in that direction a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, so this is a little, you know, do what I say, not what I do. But I think if my ads hadn't worked as well, and maybe even if I had it to do over again, I'm not sure, maybe I would do it a little different, but it kind of goes back to what we said before, where it's like, if I can get one or two yeses and that covers a bunch, I don't need to, if I can make the same money with one sponsor for a month, as opposed to five ads a week, 20 ads a month. Yeah. It's a lot easier. Yeah. Right yeah. now you just yeah. have to figure out how to make that worth their while and what it is. And it has to be the right partner and all of that. But I think that also shifts the pricing game because you just have to figure out a price that works for that one partner and mm -hmm. you and what you can give them as opposed to, I got to find a price that all these different people on this spectrum are going to find work. So that's, that's how I think about it. I know you've done some ads in your newsletter as well and have experimented. Mm -hmm. I know you're now doing the convert kit stuff, right? Yeah. Or no. Yeah, yeah. I've got, I've been working with them for on with their ad network that they launched in the summertime. Yeah. yeah. Anything you want to share aside from their ad network, but like when you were doing it yourself, anything you want to share about your thoughts on pricing? Yeah, it was, it was really just completely experimental on my end because I had no idea what I was, where to start with pricing. And I kind of threw a number out there. I started with Swapstack, which was a really helpful platform at the time. It's just a marketplace for newsletter publishers and advertisers. And so I threw like a 20 or $25 ad spot on my newsletter with 600 subscribers, 650 subscribers. And I got an ad within about a month and it, it tanked. It failed miserably. I don't think one yeah. person clicked on it, but the, it yeah. just didn't line up with my, it was about college sports and it just didn't line up. But then I started just with the people I had met on Twitter. I had grown my network and people were kind of curious about advertising my newsletter. And one of the first comments I got was, I'm paying $100 for four of your ads, you should really up your price. Yeah. And, you know, because like your, your audience are the people that I want to talk to. And so essentially, I think they're they basically saying it should be a hundred bucks an ad kind of thing, not a hundred bucks for four. And so what I did was I think I went way too quickly in raising my prices. Mm -hmm. And I still was able to fill a pretty decent amount of the newsletter. But when I couldn't, I found myself adding more inventory to the newsletter. So having three mm -hmm. spot, ad spots instead of just one, it's kind of a, a bit of insurance policy for myself. And so I would definitely approach it a little bit more the way you did mm -hmm. with a kind of starting slow and building up gradually. And then once I raised my rates to about 125, I didn't raise them really again. And until and I do so convert kits for sponsor network. Yeah. I mean, it's so audience dependent too. I mean, you're one of the, disadvantage and i'm in this boat too a little bit but one of the disadvantages of writing towards an audience that is a lot of people that are sort of early in their journey and starting yeah out, <laughs> is they're not as they're not as valuable right to mm -hmm. people that want to buy to reach them and that makes it hard you know that makes it harder there's a there's pros and cons to it it doesn't certainly doesn't mean that it can't work and it can but that and i should say that's also one of the reasons why Certainly in the beginning and still to this point, I've kept it a little bit low mm -hmm. is because I'm aware that if I go, the higher I go, the tougher it is for a lower level person to buy their ad. And the more you get into sort of big brand world, which is okay. And ultimately there, you know, there'll be some balance, but I'm aware there's people who might've bought my ad when it was a hundred that aren't going to buy it when it's 350. 
just yeah. because they're not in they're not in that place. And you know, that that's okay. But yeah, pricing, there's no magic bullet or magic formula. <laughs> like it's trial and error and sort of figuring it out as you go. So cool. So this was great. Let's, as we wrap up, tell people where they can follow you, connect with you, get more from you, get your newsletter, all that other stuff. Yeah, sure. The My newsletter is Growth Currency and you can go to growthcurrency.net. That's where you can subscribe, read all the articles I've published all about starting, growing and monetizing newsletters. And on Twitter is where I'm most active. So just at Growth Currency on Twitter. And I also have Instagram and TikTok, but definitely more active on the Twitter platform. And my DMs are open. So if you have questions or anything, feel free to send me a hello. Cool. And as for me, if you've been listening to this podcast and liking it, please take a minute to rate and review it on Apple or Spotify and all that other stuff. People reach out to me all the time and tell me they love it. And that is awesome. And I appreciate it. But say that same thing in a, in a rating or review, and it helps me even more. <laughs> my newsletter, get it at fortheinterested.com slash subscribe. Check out my skill sessions at joshspector.com slash sessions. By the way, if you're interested in newsletters, one of those skill sessions is the newsletter booster. It will show you how to get more subscribers in five minutes a day. I think you will love it. If you want to talk about hiring me as a consultant or a coach, go to joshspector.com slash consulting. I am also on Twitter every day at jspector. If you'd like to come on this podcast and ask me some questions, I'd love to answer them for you. Go to joshspector.com slash questions to apply to be a guest. And that's about it. Thank you, Dylan. Thanks everyone for listening. Thanks for your interest. I will see you next week.